you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> Redwood Forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ and Bucky with week one in our rearview mirror of the NFL season. Uh, Buck, we've got uh, we've got a couple Monday night games we can talk about today. We've also got a, a great guest as well. Some other fun topics to get to. Yeah, a lot of fun topics. You talk about those two Monday night games. I had a little conversation with Michael Vick uh, that I want to share, a little insight that he provided to me. And then, man, we're going to talk about USC's red-hot offense. And we always talk about fit and scheme and how it's important that what you're doing fits your personnel. I think USC may have stumbled onto something. And then college players to watch. Uh couple good games to watch, a couple big players that we're certainly interested in, interested in when it comes to the 2020 draft class. 
I'm also uh, going to have my conversation. I had a chance to catch up with uh, old friend Scott Satterfield, who is a head coach at Louisville. And uh, a really, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. If, you, if you're an NFL fan, you're not a big college football fan, trust me, stick around for this because uh, just talking about building culture and changing culture and um, talking about the evaluation process that college coaches have and finding high school kids, very similar to what we deal with when we're trying to scout college kids. It's obviously uh, a big-time impact on what they see in high school is, is also what we're going to end up seeing. Uh, in college, so you're going to want to stick around for that conversation. Uh, Buck, we want to get to these uh, these two games here, these Monday night games, but I do want to start out because um, on social media, if you don't already, do yourself a favor, follow at Bucky Brooks uh, because uh, uh, on your social media, I saw a picture with you and a very, very fit and in shape and looks like still ready to play Michael Vick. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, need to know, I need to know what you guys were talking about. Oh, man, no. So I had a, had a chance to um, do some stuff for Red Fox and I um, bumped into Michael Vick. And obviously my first introduction to him was when he came on our Move the Sticks podcast and was talking about Lamar Jackson. And so we reprised that conversation with the young athletic quarterbacks that are playing in the league and how does he feel about it? And the one thing that he talked about, he talked about with Lamar Jackson, how Lamar Jackson should try and avoid the temptation to try and prove the doubters wrong and be more committed to just trying to prove himself right in terms of how he plays. And that the Baltimore Ravens have really done him a favor by putting him in an offense that really fits his skills, as opposed to trying to make him a statue where he's, he's trying to kind of debunk some of the stereotypes that people say that the quarterback has to play a certain way. They've allowed him to kind of fully be Lamar Jackson. And as we were talking, I was saying like what I saw from him on Sunday versus the Miami Dolphins, this is the same Lamar Jackson that I saw at Louisville spread sets, open sets, in breaking routes, things inside the numbers, um, some RPO type things, but really it was more flash fakes and throwing the same routes that he threw at Louisville. And I think what is um, revealing is that the more we see coaches meet their young quarterbacks that way, the more success the young quarterbacks are having. And so with Lamar Jackson, even with Kyler Murray, because I felt like Kyler Murray got into a groove the second half, uh, the fourth quarter in that game against Detroit, I think we're seeing a shift in the league where more offensive coordinators are more readily and willing to put in these offenses that we see on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Um, we're just seeing kind of the Friday night, Saturday football kind of make its way to the league. And I think what that does is it opens up the possibilities for so many of these other quarterbacks that we typically wouldn't say are NFL prospects. They now have an opportunity to maybe play in the league and maybe thrive in the league. I think it's really an interesting discussion. I, I, I think when you look at the blueprint, and I know the offense is a little bit different, but if you look at the blueprint with Russell Wilson, and this is a point that I've heard you make numerous times in regards to Dak Prescott, um, which is early on in your career, you want to do a little bit more zone read. You want to let them be a little bit more aggressive with their legs because it's what they did in college. You can let them be comfortable in that regard. Um, Russell Wilson, I'm just looking at his numbers here, Buck, early in his career, rushing attempts, 94, 96, 118, 103. And then after that, uh, 72. Then he had you know 95, which is a little bit up there, but then the only 67 last year, only four mm -hmm. rushing attempts in the first week of the season. You're seeing as you get more comfortable, as you get more confident, as you gain that knowledge of, of, of playing NFL football and knowing where your outlets are, um, you can use your brain more than your legs. 
that is is what we've seen. We've seen it with Russell Wilson. That, to me, is what we've seen with Dak Prescott, the way the game has slowed down from him. He doesn't have to, to use his legs as much. You hope Lamar gets to that point. I think Josh Allen is another one that early on in his career, you're going to see him running a bunch because that's what he's comfortable doing, and that's kind of his safety valve. Uh, I guess the way to say it is eventually – um, it's going to go from your, your security blanket being your feet versus your security blanket being your knowledge. And mm-hmm. once you have that experience at the NFL level, then that is your security blanket. And I think all those quarterbacks, um, that's going to be something we see in their development. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of related to riding a bike when you were a kid. When you were a kid, you have the training wheels. Well, for all of these athletic quarterbacks who have been able to run around and make plays from high school to college to now making uh, their first initial foray into the league, they've always been able to lean on their running running ability. So I think as an offensive coordinator in the National Football League, you should probably, hey, let them play to their strengths very, very early and then say, like, look, here's the progression. Here's how we like to do it. Like, hey, we'll meet you halfway. We'll put in some things that are very, very comfortable for you to make you feel good. But what we want to do is eventually get you to the point where you can run a real NFL offense and we can have those things in the bag, but it's not the primary way that you operate. It's something that you kind of break out just in case, just in case every now and then I need to do it. You talk about Dak Prescott. I'm going to say Alex Smith is another good example because Alex Smith to me is another one of those quarterbacks that is kind of like Dak Prescott and the like where he was an athletic playmaker at Utah and early on when they tried to make him a traditional quarterback it didn't work only when he got with Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh allowed him to really utilize all of his athleticism did we see it click and it's continued to click for him from that point on I just believe that as we're evaluating quarterbacks um, scouts have to be um, willing to use their imagination willing to use their creativity and they have to be able to sell the coaches on hey, here's how we can use him, but here's how he would develop in year three, four, five, and beyond, where he can be that franchise quarterback that is the quarterback of your team for 12, 13, 14, maybe even 15 years. So I'm thinking about this, and we, we've done our trucks and trailers analogy, we've, and you've heard the show, you know, we've mm-hmm. talked about this a bunch, whether a quarterback is a truck or a trailer. I, I think the next one that we can do, which is a good visual for folks, is um, if you've ever, if you've been a parent or you remember as a kid when you're learning to ride a bike, Bucky mentioned the training wheels. There's three levels of quarterbacks, Buck. Mm-hmm. There's ones with the training wheels. <laughs> There's ones with no training wheels, but Dad still has a hold of the back of the seat. And you don't know if you look over your shoulder whether he's there or not. And then there's a third level where you look back and dad's gone and and you are riding the bike by yourself. And maybe you're on some grass initially in case you fall, you won't get a boo-boo. But eventually we're going to get you out on the on the asphalt and you can go. But I think that's what it is. I think there's training wheels. I think there's dad. And I think there's a solo mission. Yeah. Look, it's a very real deal. Um, And I think Jerry Goff kind of got caught in that. Um, He went from being in the training on the training wheels when he was with Jeff Fisher (laughs) to initially even with Sean McVay to Sean McVay transitioning to being dad kind of holding along when everyone was talking about, oh, he's in his headset or whatever. (laughs) That's a great image, by the way. To now. Such a great image. Yeah, to now he's able to ride solo. But I think it is that progression. And it's unfortunate because right now we make these snap judgments on quarterbacks very, very early in their career. But it is being able to see, hey, can we see the progression? Can we see where they're eventually going to go? And it may not necessarily be in the first two years. It may take year three for it to really kick in. Um, But we are seeing it. And I think here's another conversation that I had when it comes to Dak Prescott. Um, People around the Dallas Cowboys tell me that Dak Prescott says last year the light went on the last six games of the year. 
that he kind of finally settled in. The game slowed down the last six games of last year. So if you go back, DJ, and you think about how many games this guy has played in the National Football League, he's been a three-year starter, so that would be 48 games. So it took about 40 games for him to feel comfortable as a starter. Well, if we really use that time frame as, hey, this is when we really need to make judgments on quarterbacks, I think it would change some of the conversation that we have about guys because we do appear to kind of pull the court too soon on quarterbacks, and we don't realize that, look, it's a developmental position. It's a position that takes time. No one really comes into the league and has all of it. It takes time. And so you need to give those guys two and a half, three years before they can really figure it out. So what was the number? Give me the number of starts again real quick. Um, he, he's played 48 games. Yeah, then he said like right around 40. I've heard Brian Billick talk about, A, Bill Walsh used to tell him it takes about 32 starts before you can kind of figure it out. That's two full seasons to kind of get a feel for, A, guy kind of gets it or he doesn't get it or whatever. I think somewhere in year three, the quarterback should make a turn where you can begin to feel good about, oh, okay, he's going in the right direction. Um, otherwise, he may not ever get there. Well, I've got bad news for somebody because this is the first thing that I looked up once you said that number around 40, you're looking at Uh-oh. that number. Jameis Winston, f- 57 starts. Oh, he is what he is. He is what he is. Like, unfortunately, DJ, like, he, he, and, Mar- he, he and Marcus right. Mariota, they are where they are. And so now it's about yeah. – Like both of them. Like both of them coming out. But, but really what, yeah, but what, what but. can we do? How can we build it around them, whatever? Like, for Jameis, Jameis will always be a guy that is a high turnover guy, high-volume turnovers, yeah. risk taker, whatever it is. We can talk about, A, he's going to be safer. He is what he is. Um, Marcus Mariota, we always want just a little more from him. I just think they will play the game like that. So now what teams have to do is they have to do evaluation. How much do we value a quarterback that plays like they play with the money that you have to pay them on that second contract? What is the new $20 million, $30 million standard for play? Is it better to go back and say, oh, you know what, we just hit reboot and start it all over with a college quarterback? Last last thing, and we'll move on to these games here. I know we've uh, we've gone a little long here, but it's it's a fun discussion. I enjoy it. Uh, over uh, this is the image I have in my mind. A lot of pictures in my head today. I don't know why. The coffee must have been good. Um, but this is the image I have, Buck. It's uh, it's Mike Zimmer going to Kirk Cousins and saying, "Hey man, let's you got you want to go uh, you want to go ride a bike down at the beach? <laughs> oh yeah, let's go ride our bike down at the beach. Okay. <laughs> so they get out of the car, and then Kirk pulls out his bike and and goes, "Coach, where's where's your bike? You don't have your." You gonna ride? I thought you said you want to ride bikes. No, no, no. I'll be holding on to your seat. Yeah, you go, you go ride your bike. I'm gonna go ahead and hold on to that seat as we're going down the boardwalk there because that's what the Vikings have done. Maybe not the training wheels back on, but I promise you, Zimmer is holding on to the back of that seat. He is not only holding on to that. I think what they did is he said, Kurt, what we're gonna do is we're gonna ride to the pier, and I got a brand new shiny bike for you. And when Kurt gets to the pier, it's a tandem bike. It's a tandem bike, and Gary Kubiak is on the back pedaling. He, Gary Kubiak is like, Hey, Kurt, I've been waiting. For for you hop on you're gonna pedal i'm gonna pedal we're gonna be in sync because that's what the minnesota vikings are doing oh uh, oh that's great i love that all right let's get to these games but, here. but like dj so so here's a wild, wild here's the game. thing Go ahead. here's the thing i want to say about Kirk cousins because everyone's going to take Kirk cousins to task for the contract and the money or whatever but at the end of the day i don't mind if Kirk cousins plays like that if he wins like whatever you pay the quarterback you pay yeah, the no quarterback question. but if he wins games you're paying him to get your team to the winner's circle. And if we can win games with him only throwing 10 passes, I'm fine with that. It is really, and I think some people mess this up when we talk about the reason why you want a franchise quarterback. The reason why you want a franchise quarterback isn't 
because you need him every game is I want to have him in case we need him. If everybody else is off, now I can go to him and be like, okay, Kurt, today's your day. We need you to kind of care. If we're struggling a little bit with the running game, hey, you pick it up. I got you. It's not, oh, all 16 games, I want to grind you into the ground. It's, no, four or five games a year, I need you to be able to put us on your back if it breaks out like that. Yeah, I'm, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, uh, let's get to this game here. Texans Saints. The end of it, I don't want to talk about all the uh, – um, the, the defensive structure and, and uh, play calling there at the end of the game, which was goofy, um, because I think that's probably been discussed ad nauseum on every other show. One thing that makes us uh, our show a little bit different is because we're looking at the team building aspect. Um, and to me, you know, I'm a chance to, to talk with Scott Satterfield a little later on about colleges and how you build that program and build a team that way. But when you look at the Saints, this is a team that really, outside of two bizarre plays, they're in the uh, they're in the Super Bowl the last two years, Buck. But mm-hmm. when you look at how their team is constructed, I think it is fascinating. I think when you look at at their ability to get after the quarterback, there's still some flaws in this team, but their ability to get after the quarterback and their ability to be explosive offensively. Uh, so to me, I think that's how this team's been built. It's been built with pass rush. Um, defensively and then just a lot of explosive plays on offense I mean they are dynamic on offense they're probably one of the more dynamic teams that we will find and I think what's interesting about um, their dynamic ability is the fact that their quarterback is an aging quarterback and he can't necessarily push the ball all the way down the field but what they've been able to do is they've been able to take a smart quarterback who's accurate who gets the ball out of his hands put him in a system with Sean Payton where he does a great job of getting the pieces on the chessboard wide open and then those guys, when they get the ball in their hands, they make big things happen. Alvin Kamara, to me, is phenomenal just because he controls the game. To me, he's their best player on offense. He's a guy that, to me, controls the board, does everything that you want to see. And because he's such a tough matchup when it comes to defending the run or defending him in the passing game, he opens up opportunities for others. Um, you talk about seven, 97 rush yards, 72 receiving yards, really gets it done. And then in Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas is just kind of like the dependable pass catcher, the chain mover. 10 catches, 123 yards. I say he is the new version of what Marcus Colston was for them, and that's not a slight to him, but he is the guy that is the big slot receiver that makes it happen, and he wins those matchups because he's more physical, um, and he just kind of bullies you on the perimeter. Yeah, I think they had four guys uh, have a catch over 20 yards. So your ability to get some explosive plays in the pass game. Um, you look at the run game, they had, gosh, well, they had three runs of 20-plus yards in the run game. So it's hard, man. Even with a veteran like Drew Brees to, to have these long, sustained drives, you've got to get some chunk plays built in there. And so you have to have the personnel, you have to have the scheme, you have to have um, guys that can make things happen. I think they have that offensively, and I think defensively, um, which will get us talking to uh, the Houston Texans here, um, they can get after the passer. What they end up with? I think six sacks in this game, which I, I did see. I do want to uh, say this because I know a lot of people were, were saying, oh, this is – shows that the Tunsil thing was a dumb trade and blah, blah, blah. No, no, this is that's not what this showed me because when you watch this game, Tunsil played well. The one sack that they had off of him, Deshaun actually kind of drifts in the pocket. He's about 11 yards deep, so you got to have a consistent launch point. I don't, it wasn't even Tunsil's fault. He played well. This is the problem that I have, Buck, is some coaches, even when you have coaches that are now functioning as the, uh, the general manager, their reluctance 
to play young players. There's nothing that would frustrate me more on the personnel side, and I'd love to get your take on this, but when you trot out veterans because they quote-unquote know what to do, even though they can't do it, they've got young offensive linemen they picked high in the draft, Throw them out there. Let's let let them let them make their mistakes, learn and grow. At least they have the physical ability to grow and to develop and to be that guy. You're playing with some guys on that offensive line that just they've proven they they are who they are. They aren't good enough. Let the young guys get out there, take their lumps and develop. I, I just that drives me nuts. Hey DJ, it, it it does drive you nuts, and I'm in full agreement with you. And, and the reason why you should play the young players, especially early in the year. Um, and I don't know how they did it in Baltimore with some teams that you were there. But when I was with the Carolina Panthers, John Fox always broke the season up in quarters. And basically, he was like, let's just go mm-hmm. three and one every quarter. That'll put you at 12 and four. And more times than not, that'll give you home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And so if you really think about the way this goes, if you can just get to the halfway mark at three and five, four and four, you're really set up to make a run yep. down the stretch. And so... Play the young guys early because we've seen the New England Patriots. The first month or so of the season is about finding your identity, finding who your playmakers are, finding who can, you, can do what. And then the last part of the season is kind of really honing and refining the way that you have to play once you figure out that identity. I think for Bill O'Brien, this is a great opportunity early in the year. Put the young guys out. Let's see what they do. Let's see how they do it. And you still have enough time, weeks four, weeks five, week six. If those young guys are struggling, all right, let's go to the bullpen. Bring the vets in because our guys weren't ready. But you have to put them on the field because it not only hurts you this year, but it hurts you next year because next year when you need them to play, they haven't played. They don't have any seasoning. They don't have any experience. You have to find a way to put those guys on the field. Yep, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Texans as they go forward. I do know one thing. That quarterback is the real deal, and he is so easy to root for because uh, the toughness that he displays. I love two things about Deshaun Watson, other than the fact that he's just a great dude when you get a chance to spend time with him, as you have as, as well, Buck. But the uh, the fact that he is fearless back there and the fact that you, you – tell me again about the chess thing because knowing when to attack, this dude is aggressive and he attacks. Man, I love how aggressive he plays a quarterback position. Yeah, so Deshaun is one of the guys that uh, has trained with uh, my guy Seth and what Seth always talks about is threats and attacks. Uh, when you play chess, uh, the first thing that you do before you even touch a piece is you need to overlook the board, you need to figure out where the threats are at, and how to attack the threats. And what he's been able to do, and Deshaun is one of the first guys that he worked with at quarterback or whatever, is how can I assess the situation? Where are we vulnerable? How can I attack where they want to attack us? And I think what it has done is it's allowed Deshaun to be aggressive but careful, if that makes sense. Like it, it is it's being assertive, it's being aggressive, but it's not being reckless. And because he's not reckless, he's not turning the ball over, even though he did have an interception, but he still finds a way to make those plays. Because the throw that he made down the stretch at the end of the game, Kenny steals down the pipe. ridiculous. The throws that he made to DeAndre Hopkins or whatever, there has to be a level of fearlessness to let the ball go in those moments. And you never want to temper that. But he has the right temperament where he can kind of balance it. Like, hey, I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to dial it back. Those things really, really matter when it comes to winning games. 
All right, let's get to this other game here. Uh, Raiders and the Broncos. A game that, look, the, the Raiders, they had to win this game for so many reasons, and everybody knows about the Antonio Brown uh, drama and coming out the other side of that. So it was, was going to be a very passionate, emotional stadium, uh, which if you had the volume up, hopefully you didn't have any kids in the room uh, with, uh, with Raider Nation letting, letting everybody know what they thought about the New England Patriots' new wide receiver. But this was a game they had to win, and uh, not only that, I, I pull up the schedule. Buck, this is, uh, this is a team. Let me give you the Raiders' next games here. Chiefs at Vikings at Colts Ooh, Bears at Packers at, they, they at Texans. Win. They had to win that one. That was Woo! that, that might have been the only one. On the had schedule. to win that one. That was a must win. And 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 they did. They did. And, and uh, I love to get your thoughts. Just what you saw uh, from the young guys in that one for the Raiders. A lot of young draft picks. Out Man, there. I like. Look. So here's the thing, and we we kind of talked about this away from uh, the podcast. You wonder what the philosophy was because they drafted high character guys in the draft, guys who had production, guys that played at big school programs, guys who were leaders and had all the things that you really look for um, when you evaluate. But then they surrounded them with some veterans that you're like, ah, I don't know how this locker room is going to match up. But the one thing that stood yeah. out to me is their young guys were exactly what they thought they were. Uh, Josh Jacobs, terrific. 85 rushing yards, two touchdowns, 28 receiving yards. We talked about him. You talked about him in particular, about him being an explosive back and how he was going to – exceed whatever he did in college because he's now going to finally have the opportunity. Guys around the Raiders tell me he kind of reminds me of an old Raider, Charlie Gardner, a guy that can be like a little smaller, but he's tough and physical as a runner, but really catch the ball well at the backfield. John Gruden's going to find a way to make plays with him. I I just like the fact that John Abrams showed up, made some plays, physicality, toughness, or whatever. Probably talks, probably talks a little more than I would prefer, but I like the way that he, set, <laughs> that he sets the tone and the way that he, he kind of gets it done. And then you would know this better than some of, some of us, Tyrell Williams. Man, Tyrell Williams kind of slide yep. into the number one spot, and I don't know if people are ready for him to be the number one. Six catches, over 100 yards, one touchdown. I don't know much, but I do know that John Gruden does a great job of setting guys up for opportunities. Tyrell Williams stepped right into the number one role and had a fantastic game week one. Yeah, he's a really good player. You know, when he had opportunity back in 2016 with the Chargers due to some injuries, I think it was Keenan Allen was hurt that year. Yeah, you know, he, he goes over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. So he, he can he can be higher on the depth chart, you know, higher in the batting order, I guess I should say, um, for a team that doesn't have a big-time dude. It's just with the Chargers, you had Keenan Allen, you had Mike Williams, so uh, the numbers didn't blow you away. But plenty of big plays down the field. He's going to get an opportunity now in Oakland, especially without Antonio Brown, to run the whole tree. Uh, not just going to be that vertical guy. And, uh, man, he's off to a great start. Still only 27 years old. Um, I, I like it when you can get free agents in that sweet spot range. You know, don't overpay for the old guys, but get guys that still are in the middle of their prime. And I thought they did that, not just with Tyrell Williams. I thought, even though they paid him so much money, because there was so much other drama around the Raiders that the Trent Brown signing kind of got lost in the shuffle. And, you know, we talk about mm -hmm. uh, being able to add quality players, how it, it, it uh, reorders the batting lineup, and it makes people, you know, where they properly should be. And Colton Miller, to me, as bad as he was um, trying to be that one tackle, their, their stud tackle last year, now all of a sudden look what happens. You bring in Trent Brown, who takes some of that pressure off, even though he's playing on the right side. You can help Colton Miller a little bit if you, if you need to. And Colton Miller played better. So it, it's, uh, it, that was a key signing for this team. A young guy still in his prime as well. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting, you bring up Trent Brown. 
because everyone went crazy when he not only got paid what he got paid, but he was positioned at right tackle. And I think what we're going to have to do in the scouting world, we're going to have to change the way that we view tackles. So for so long, we viewed the right tackle as kind of the masher, the mauler, because typically teams are right-handed, meaning they run to the right, because that's also the way that the tight end is. And so you could have a lesser athlete, but he's probably more, he was a little bigger, more physical, a drive blocker. Well, now, because so many defenses have taken their best pass rusher, and instead of making him the right defensive end, they made him the left defensive end. Last night, the Denver Broncos, Von Miller plays left defensive end versus the right tackle. And so that right tackle has to be a dude who can survive on the island by himself. If he's just a mauler and a master, you can get a ton of pressure from that side, and your quarterback is going to go out the game. The Raiders may have overpaid for Trent Brown, but putting him at right tackle is exactly part of the trend that we'll continue to see in the National Football League. Yeah, no doubt. You need two good tackles right now the way uh, the game is played. Going to get to some college football here in just a second. One last thing on the NFL. Uh, I've watched a ton of tape from this this week one, but one thing, looking at the box scores, and somebody actually alerted me this uh, on social media. I think on Twitter they hit me up on this and said, can you please tell me you know, what the Carolina Panthers did to neutralize Aaron Donald? So I looked it up. Aaron Donald had one tackle in that game against the Panthers, so I need to watch that tape, see what happened there. And J.J. Watt got shut out for the first time in his NFL career. I mean, can you imagine a week where we had J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, the two best defensive linemen in the National Football League, combined for one tackle. How crazy is that? Really crazy, really crazy. And they must have done something because in, in looking at Christian McCaffrey's stat line, he went bananas. And there's a conversation, and don't want to detract us from what we were about to talk about, but I heard someone today talk about Christian McCaffrey and why he's never discussed as one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in football. And so I would just like to get your take. Like, what what is your view or what's your take yep. on Christian McCaffrey and what he brings to the table as a running back? Well, we talked about it in our uh, – uh, in our prototype series. So, you know, the folks that listen to us over the off season talk about what we look for in scouting that, that position and having our guests on and, and uh, talking to Hall of Fame running backs and, and, and giving our own opinion there. I think I had Saquon Barkley as the, as the prototype right now. Uh, I think you had Zeke Elliott. But we both, I know for a fact, we both talked about Christian McCaffrey kind of being that new school running back. Um, you talk about him and Alvin Kamara, you kind of lump them together. I, I just think when you compare him with Kamara, he, he's built a little bit more to carry more of a load. He can take more touches uh, than Kamara can. So, uh, look, I, I think he's absolutely in the discussion is one of the best running backs in the NFL with everything he can do. Ten catches in that game, 128 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Um, no, he's he's right there. He doesn't get talked about, Buck, because he plays in Carolina. You work there. They're not a glamour team. Not a glamour team, but he's another one that has shed light on the running back position and, and, and what people are looking for. Like, I, I kind of believe that Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamar are almost one and the same. Uh, they're not exactly yeah. alike, but they play the game in a very, very similar manner. They can run it. They can catch it. They could be in the return game if you need them to. Uh, they're dynamic players, and they're not the biggest guys. But I think the thing that you have to be, if you're one of those guys that's not like the big 220-pound back, you have to show that you can handle the physicality of being a runner. Uh, Christian McCaffrey showed that last year. Alvin Kamara continues to show that. Um, these two guys, man, we talk about the running back position being devalued. I think it may just kind of be talked about in a different light, but I think they're terrific running backs in this league, and I think we've seen these two guys kind of pave the way, McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. 
Yeah, and Alvin Kamara had 20 touches in uh, his game against Houston. McCaffrey had 29, and I think that is a little bit of the difference. I think you're probably talking about McCaffrey being able to handle 8, 9, 10 more touches, but Alvin Kamara can do a lot of damage <laughs> in 20 touches, trust me. Uh, but anyways, big time, big time backs. All right, let's switch gears here over to the college game and, and uh, talking with a coach who's been tasked with a, a big job here uh, to take over the Louisville football program uh, that was at a pretty low point uh, when he took over the reins there as their new head coach. It's a guy I know very well. I've known for a long time. Was one of my coaches at Appalachian State. Spent 20 years there at App State. Uh, part of some of those uh, those great teams they had at the 1AA level and as well as their transition successfully to Division I. Uh, three straight bowl games there and now uh, Scott Satterfield taking over a Louisville program. Here's my chat uh, with the new Cardinals coach. Well, Coach, first of all, thank you so much uh, for joining me. It, it's great to see you again uh, down there in Louisville, uh, making that adjustment, making the move from App State to Louisville. What was what was the biggest surprise to you once you got on campus uh, down there in Louisville? Well, I think probably the biggest surprise was just the uh, really the state of the program. You know, when you take over a, a program and a team, you really don't have time to do a lot of research. You know, we're, we're busy trying to win a championship there at App State, and then you know, you get here and you find out, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed here. And I think probably that's the reason why, you know, schools make a change. Uh, so, but we got here and, you know, started building the staff out and really just started trying to, you know, create the kind of culture that, that we want here. And, you know, obviously that, that starts with consistency on a daily basis. But there was a lot of things we had to do, I think, right off the bat when we got here. You look at the, the culture that we both know so well coming out, out of App State, and you've spent, what, 20 years there at that program. When I, I think if you talk to anybody, as I know you have, around the country, they're jealous of the culture that exists at App State. It's a family culture. Uh, what, what are the first you know, two or three steps when you get to a new place to try and get that started at a new program? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for us, the first thing that we did was try to build trust within the program and within our players. Um, you know, I've said this before, the players really didn't, know where the head coach's office was here they really didn't spend a lot of time around the coaches and so for us that's always been a norm and and we wanted them to be able to come up here and spend time with us in our offices um so but the building trust and i think that just throughout being consistent on a daily basis um you know caring about the players caring about you know not only football but what's going on in their lives um you know back home or school or you know whatever else and i think just doing that on a, on a daily basis is, is how we started that. And we've been that, that way for the last eight months. Um, and I think the players have come to accustomed to it now and they really appreciate it. And they're, they're loving what we're doing here. Um, you know, but I think that's the key word is being consistent, you know, not being high, you know, too high or too low and, but just being consistent with our approach. One of the things, you know, the App State program has been known about forever is the toughness of the program. And when you look at, at taking over there at Louisville, I'm, I'm just curious from a team building standpoint, is, is toughness something you guys uh, can have a major impact once they get to campus? Or is it a bigger component of going out and finding tough kids and bringing in tough kids into your program? I think it's probably a little bit of both, you know, but the way we train on a daily basis is, is creates toughness, I think, because it's hard. I mean, and it's hard, you know, throughout the country and all that, but, you know, we try to create an environment here where we're, we're the competition every single day, everything that we're doing. And then also holding the guys accountable, you know, showing up on time for treatment or study hall or class or whatever that may be. And so if you're not, then there's accountabilities that you're going to have to do for that. So, 
you know, I think uh, that's just, in, you know, puts it into program throughout, through in and throughout of being tough and tough minded and earning everything that you get. You know, I, we, we want to be an earn based program. And I think that's one thing at App State. We were huge with that. Um, no matter if I'm a walk on or if I'm the highly, most highly recruited player, you got to earn everything, you know, earn your playing time, earn your respect. All those things, I think, when you do that, you create that mentality of being tough and, and tough minded. I think so much of it is the mental aspect. You know, it's not really the physical part. I mean, there's a lot of strong players throughout the country and all that, but mentally, are you tough? Can you handle the rigors of, of anything that's getting thrown your way? What, is there a program uh, that you've studied uh, that you're trying to uh, to build something similar to what they've done? I mean, when I, when I look around the team building side of college football, it seems like the teams that are there every year, they have two things. They have, they have a defensive line and they have a quarterback. And it seems like everything kind of builds off uh, from there. But have you spent any time studying? I mean, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the teams that have had that prolonged success? Well, you know, I have spent a lot of time at Clemson over the last, you know, probably five years when I was at App. We'd go every spring down there and know a lot of their coaches. But I think what we've always been accustomed to, I think, and this is, goes back a long time, but, but offense and defensive line, uh, I don't want to ever compromise in recruiting those two spots. You know, if there's really good players out there, and let's say we reach our number that we want, but there's another guy, we'll go get the other guy too, you know, for those spots. I think offense and defensive lines, I think you got to win in the trenches. I think there's a ton of skilled players that you can get and win with on the outside. Um, but if you don't have the guys in the trenches, it's going to be hard to win because we want to be able to establish the runs and stop the run. Those are two things that are proven over <laughs> over 100 years plus in college football, <laughs> NFL football. Literally, it doesn't matter. If you can do those two things, you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to win championships. Um, you know, I think there's other teams that throw it around all over the place and they can win a game here or there. They can put up some gaudy numbers. You know, but how many true championships are they winning? I think so. For us, I think it starts up front on both sides of the ball, and then we expand from there. The hardest thing for us to find in the NFL draft the last probably decade has been offensive tackles. Have you noticed just a change in the college game recruiting high school kids of of there just being a lack of guys at that position? And what do you, what would you attribute that to? That is without a doubt the hardest position to find is offensive tackles. You know, you, as we're looking to evaluate offensive linemen, you know, we always looking for tackles, but you end up getting guards and centers, you know, those guys that play inside. <laughs> but it's the hardest thing to find, I think, because you everybody wants length. You want to have length, and everybody wants athleticism. You know, and, and those two things are hard to find. So a lot of times you end up, you know, trying to get a, a tight end that's a 6'5", tight end, or 6'6", six, six, maybe that we think can put on some size um, that can end up playing at the tackle position. Here's the other thing with that is that you have to have a mentality to be able to want to put your hand down in the dirt and go block somebody for 75 snaps a game. You know, and a lot of times if you have some length and maybe you're a little bit slender, you're not used to doing that. You know, you've been maybe outside, you played tight end or, you know, maybe a wide receiver in your early days. Um, and so it's just, that's, I think that's why it's so hard to find those guys. And so the guys, I think they're the best ones that have it lasted the you know, test of time is really the guys that have the mental toughness and fortitude, but also have that length and, and a very athletic. Coach, you've had a chance. I know you played with great players. You go back to Dexter Coakley there at App State. You've had a chance to coach great players at all your coaching stops, including guys like T.Y. Hilton. Um, but we've asked a bunch of guys this question. We've got some fascinating answers. Doesn't have to be somebody that played for you. It could be anybody that you've seen. Just the best high school football player that you've ever laid eyes on. Could be seeing him off of a video. Could be out there seeing him in person. But just who was the best high school football player you've ever seen? It was at South Fort Myers High School. A guy by the name of Sammy Watkins. 
He was unbelievable. When I when I watched him <laughs> practice one day to guys because he was he had he had a little bit of length on him, um, but so fast, so fast, and had great hands. And I was like, man, this guy is going to be unbelievable. And I think when I saw him, he hadn't committed to Clemson at this point in time. Um, but then you know it was ironic because he had a great day uh, yesterday. I think uh, you know on Sunday. So yeah, but he's he, he was the he's the best he's the best high school player I've ever been around or seen. I love that. We've gotten so many good stories from people. We've heard Allen Iverson uh, was one uh, that somebody had mentioned. A, bu- a bunch of, like, uh, I think Cristobal, your guy Cristobal was talking about uh, Frank Gore, seeing him in yeah. high school. It's been fascinating to kind of see all these different stories. LeBron James was one of them. Uh, I think Mel wow. Tucker had said seeing LeBron James when he was young. So uh, I can imagine him being a tight end. That'd be unbelievable. I, I do want to touch on another wideout, though. I mentioned there briefly about T.Y. Hilton. But did you yep. know at the time when you were coaching him uh, what you had? Yeah, uh, we felt pretty confident he was going to be a special player. I, we didn't know that he would be like he is now. Um, I had a little bit of an inkling to, to think that he would have a better NFL career than, than a college career. And the only reason I say that is because in college, as we, as I, I had him his junior year and his senior year, he uh, and there was times where guys would grab him and hold him in his routes and, and not get free and didn't get the calls. And I felt, hey, when he gets in the league, that they'll, they're going to be watching that a lot more. He's going to be able to get free, you know, free. Um, and he's so fast. You know, he was one of the fastest guys that um, that I've been around in the first 15 yards. And, you know, and and a great competitor and a great human being. I, I love coaching him, love being around him. Um, not surprised that he's had a really, really good NFL career. But really, I mean, he's had an Hall of Fame career so far in, in this point. So. Yeah, he's been he's been fun to watch. I remember you telling me about him way back then, and uh, and looking yeah. forward to seeing what he was going to do as he made that transition. He's uh, he, he's done quite well. All right, I'm going to let you go on this last thing because okay. I'm uh, I'm the biggest uh, Louisville Cardinal fan now, uh, west of the Mississippi. You're you're talking to him right <laughs> now, so I want to give you the opportunity. Um, and I know you guys are, are going nationwide now with your recruiting. So yeah. uh, what is the what is the sales pitch right now from head coach Scott Satterfield to to those athletes out there? Uh, looking for where they want to play college football. Give me your your sales pitch on why they should go to Louisville. Well, there's several reasons. I think, number one, we are an NFL city without an NFL team. We're the team. So, you know, we're going to have great fan support, going to come watch us play. You're going to play in a, in a program that you're going to have a lot of fun uh, because the way we run our program, it's a player-led program. So if that's you and you want to be that kind of player to come lead a program and to win, help help us win championships, then this is the program to come, to come play for. Um, you know, it, it's going to be exciting also to see the guys we bring in here. They're going to have opportunity to play early. And I think that's another thing that's going to entice a lot of these young players throughout the country to come play for us and, you know, help us, help put us on the map. I mean, we're a team that was there not too many years ago with Lamar Jackson, and, and we're headed back there again. Well, I can't wait to watch you continue to build this culture and to build this program. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you joining us, and more than that, I appreciate your friendship over the years, man. Best yeah. of luck. Appreciate you, DJ, man. You're awesome. Thanks, man. Well, Buck, you had a chance to uh, to listen to that conversation there. I mean, I, I think he's I think he's the right guy. I I, I know people say, oh, you're biased. You, you've been around him. You're friends with him. No, no, this guy is a good football coach. He's he's a great combination of innovative and physical. Uh, he believes in a physical brand of football, but he does it in a creative fashion. Yeah, one of my former Tar Heels, uh, Stu Holder, coached with him for a long time, and they did some very very creative stuff when they were at mm-hmm. State. I think you've continued to see that stuff at Louisville. Um, Say what you want about that game versus Notre Dame. They played really well the first half. And the way they were able to run the ball and get the ball to the hands of the playmakers is really remarkable. And so when you talk about the culture piece and team building and all that, um, I have no doubts that he's going to get it up and going in Louisville. And that defense, 
that defense is really, really fascinating in terms of the way they come after you, the pressure and all that. Look, Scott Satterfield is a big-time coach. I'm surprised more um, teams didn't come after him when he had such a distinguished run at App State. Cough, cough, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Right, right <laughs> in the backyard. Yeah, like, I mean, so, yeah. look, he, he has it. He, I, I believe he has it trending in the right direction. And when he gets his uh, hands on some few more, a few more recruits, a few more difference makers, I think you see that program kind of reemerge as one of the top teams in the ACC. There you go. Well, Tar Heels, your Tar Heels, 2-0, uh, sitting in good shape in that conference. We're going to get a chance, I believe, next week to talk to uh, your former head coach and the uh, the new head coach, again, I should say, once again, the head coach there at North Carolina, Mac Brown, uh, going to join the show next week. Looking forward to that conversation, Buck. Yeah, that's a lot. I, I don't know if that's leading into the Appalachian State week, but um, I'll tell Coach, like, hey, I don't need you to win all of them. But it's I need show, some bulletin board. I need, I need show, some bulletin board. Help me if you can win this one. That's all I'm going to say. It's so good. Oh, that's going to be fun. We'll have, a, we'll have a fun time previewing that game next week. Uh, another team that's on the uptick right now uh, is the USC Trojans, coming off a big win over Stanford where they just uh, threw it all over the lot with their new quarterback in Keaton Slovis. And to me, the rising star or the emerging star from that game wasn't just the young quarterback, the true freshman. It was the play caller uh, in Graham Harrell, a guy who spent time in the NFL around Aaron Rodgers, was on that, uh, that team that won a Super Bowl mm-hmm. with the Packers and who broke all those records, throwing the pill around at Texas Tech for Mike Leach, throwing to Michael Crabtree. And um, he took over at USC. It was, a, it was look, that was a risky proposition for him to go to SC. Clay Helton clearly on the hot seat, uh, but he believed he could get it done there. And seeing their performance, Buck, reminded me of our conversation with Graham Harrell uh, just, a, just a little over a month ago when we were uh, on our visit to USC. And I thought we could roll some of that sound back because I thought we got a good idea um, that this is, a, this is a breakout that could take place. You know, I think the guys, one, I was surprised how quickly they picked it up, but also you're just dealing with a different athlete at SC. And, and um, so so if we can just get the ball in those guys' hands, uh, they're pretty special with it. So so that was fun. You were able to, like I said, because they were able to pick it up pretty quickly, you kind of get able to get creative with ways to give them the football. And uh, and like I said, they're special once the ball's in their hand. And so uh, they made my job a lot more fun, a lot easier this spring. Your thoughts, Buck, just when you watched, uh, watched them just demolish Stanford and thinking back to our visit with, uh, with Graham, what were your thoughts on that? Everything that those guys talked about was true, not only with Graham, but with Kerry Colbert. And they just talked about how easy the offense was for the athletes, how the athletes could play fast. And I think that is the trick for all coaches to find out, okay, what kind of scheme can I put in that allows my guys to maximize their talents but play to that level with the speed and the urgency that you want to see? And I feel like USC has kind of found that sweet spot. Uh, when I looked at them just watching them from the couch, man, the ball came out fast. It was quick. It was nothing um, extraordinary about the schematics. But what it was, it was like, man, it, 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 I kind of call it common sense offense. If we were playing a video game and yeah. you told me, hey, I got a Mara St. Brown and I got I – got Tyler Vaughn's, and I got Stephen Carr in the backfield. Michael Pittman. Oh, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get the ball to those guys, and I'm going to let them do what they do. And that is what SC was doing. And I think without complicating it, he just allowed them to just play. I mean, how many times did we see those guys run four-step sticks, four-step hitches, catch the ball, and (laughs) make the first two guys miss? I mean, look, it doesn't have to be complicated when you have – Really good players. That's part of what recruiting is. I want to get really good players so I look like a better coach and I don't have to do as much. I think SC is on to that. The big test for them will be when they need to control the game, can they run it well enough yeah. to control it so they don't have to keep 
hey, it's third and two with two minutes left and we got to throw a bubble screen to get the first down as opposed to being able to turn around and hand it to the running back. Uh, that would be the key, especially when they start playing those heavyweight teams in the conference. Uh, are they going to be able to run it when everyone in the stadium knows you have to run it and they're still able to pick up the first down? Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be fun to watch them as they march to the rest of their schedule. And it is a murderer's row. I think they have BYU this week, which is a good tough team game. off a win over tough Tennessee. Game. And Physical. Yeah. Washington, Notre, or sorry, Utah, then Utah, then Washington, then Notre Dame. So they've uh, they also still have Oregon Ooh. on the schedule. So uh, three, a lot still games. out there for this U.S. team. By the way, I have a new athletic director, Lynn Swan, uh, no longer there for the Trojans. I, I do want to get your thoughts on uh, a couple things here uh, before we get out of here, Buck. Uh, Joe Burrow. Just your thoughts on him uh, as a player that uh, I believe uh, our guy we just talked to, yeah, George JP, Palmer, was uh, was hinting at this at this type of uh, performance coming. Yeah, JP talked about J- JP talked about Joe Burrow and how he was excited to see him go against Texas. Um, I think the bit the best thing that I saw from Joe Burrow is man, he gets the ball out, he's fearless, he's courageous, and he has the juice. Meaning he he's a real quarterback, and it's something that LSU hasn't had. And with all the athletes that LSU has always been able to kind of bring on campus and to put at wide receiver and at running back, they've never had a guy that could just deal. A point guard at the quarterback position that just knew how to set his guys up so they could go get buckets. And what I saw from Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow is the perfect pass-first point guard. He gets it to him in their sweet spots. He let them uh, get it in rhythm, and then they go and make plays. And he has the toughness that you also need. Because they got hit a couple of times, and he bounced back and made some terrific throws. And so if I'm an LSU fan, if I'm uh, really looking to see what this team's potential could be, I'm excited about Jerboro. I think if I'm an NFL scout, I'm still looking to see, does he have all the things that you, that you want? But, I mean, this guy comes from Ohio, Ohio State, jumps down in LSU, and we haven't seen a big-time quarterback in LSU. He is going to be elevated by the play of those guys around him. I think we're talking about a guy that's going to end up being a pretty good NFL prospect. Yeah, I talked about it um, in my article, talking about the different clusters, which we'll revisit that later on in the season uh, to see if he ends up climbing up a cluster, which I think he's well on his way to doing. But every, all the scouts that went through there uh, during two days said he looked really good, and the coaches said he's fully healthy, and it's a different guy this year. So um, it wasn't totally a surprise to see him perform the way he did. I uh, do want to f- flip over uh, to his old school, started out at Ohio State, Speaking of, and that got me um, thinking about Chase Young, who's the edge rusher for the Buckeyes, who had a chance to watch his tape against Cincinnati. He's phenomenal, man. They have done such a great job of recruiting players and developing players, and they coach him up as well. Larry Johnson, their defensive line coach. If you've seen uh, the Bosa swipe move from Joey and Nick, it's been handed down. It did not leave Columbus. Chase Young has picked that swipe move up, uh, and he is still rolling with it. Big-time burst and get off. Uh, very disruptive there against Cincinnati. It's no secret he's going to be a you know a top-ten type player. And then when I'm watching him, I even put it, uh, I tweeted mm-hmm. out a little video. They got a kid Bucked on the other side, Tyreek Smith, who's a sophomore. You know, you know when you're watching tape on a dude, and all of a sudden you see the other guy, and you're like, "Whoa! Like, who is this?" And uh, it caused you to get on your computer and look it up, make sure he's not draft eligible, uh, which he's not. Uh, just a, I believe, a true sophomore there. But six four, two sixty seven. These guys all look alike. They're just big and strong and powerful and can move. And he had one that that one little play I posted. I don't know if you saw it, mm-hmm. Buck, but just a little uh, little little crossover inside. I was like, whoa! I mean, they've got some different looking dudes there at Ohio State. So, apologies to Michigan. 
apologies to everybody else. Ohio State's winning that conference again. Hey, look, man, they have it. They have it going on, and I, I just love the way they play. I love what they do. I, you know, look, I met Ryan Day for the first time at the Combine. I love their interactions and the way he talks and his vision for the program and what he wants to do. And then when you just look at the athletes that they have, man, they just do a great job of recruiting. They have some uh, terrific playmakers. And, look, they've been a prominent pipeline for NFL talent. And so when you put that talent with good coaching and you have the right chemistry in the locker room, you're going to win at a high level. And so I expect the Buckeyes to win at a high level. I just can't wait to see the game at the end of the year. Ohio State, Michigan, because this should be the year <laughs> that Michigan's going to get them. Michigan just struggled with Army. It ain't going to happen. But I don't think it had anything it to do with that. But I just can't wait to see. I just think it's a, I just think it's a, it's a big, fascinating game. Yeah. I'm fascinated I, by it. I don't think anything's changing there. They've got dudes, man. They have got dudes up front on that defense, it, it, which, by the way, leads me to an interview I cannot wait for uh, coming up on our next podcast. We're going to have Mark Pantone on, uh, who is the man behind the recruiting machine at Ohio State, uh, going back uh, all the way to, through the Urban Meyer era. Uh, all the great players, Zeke Elliott, Joey Bose, uh, you know, all, you, Marshawn Lattimore, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of all the great players they've had roll through there in the last seven, eight years. Uh, the guy who re- evaluated him, recruited him, and uh, helped get him on campus, Mark Pantone, is going to join us on that episode. And we'll have fun talking about uh, watching those guys as high school players and what they saw in them and uh, and how they developed there for the Buckeyes. Um, Buck, football is back. You can watch live, local, and primetime NFL games for free all season long with the Yahoo Sports app or the official app of the NFL on your phone or tablet. Plus, get all your latest breaking news, highlights, and more. Uh, download the NFL app or the Yahoo Sports app in your app store or at nfl.com slash mobile today. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Uh, anything else you want to get to here, Buck, before we roll out of here? No, nah, man, I'm just excited. I, I do believe like uh, on Thursday when we have the pod, we should just kind of single out a few more college guys that have kind of bubbled up on the radar. Yep. I love like studying this time of year, like the guys that you hear about in the summer, but now you're beginning to see, um, man, some really good players, some really good players are going to be in a 2020 draft class. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I actually spent some time on the phone this morning with our with our buddy David Pollock and uh, was oh, telling yeah. me about some of these Georgia kids, man, especially those offensive linemen. So, um, that's on my to-do list, on my homework list. So How about we'll, that? Uh, we'll get some discussion on those guys. Whew. Big time, big time looking team. Uh, Buck, this is why I love this show. Because today we got to cover ground on NFL players. Um, we got to cover ground on college guys that we're looking forward to. We talked to a culture team builder and Scott Satterfield there at Louisville, which brings into you know the whole leadership space. So when you're talking college players, NFL players, culture, leadership, man, that's it's, I'm selfish. These are the kind of things that I like to dig into, and I know you do as well, and uh, that's why I enjoy these conversations each and every time we get to do it. Man, I love it. I love it. I love the way that we're able to live in so many different worlds, um, whether it's college, pro, even high school. Um, I just love that the podcast has really become all about ball in so many different ways. And then when you talk about the team building element, um, and it's been the fascination. Like I, I've seen you take notes in the books we've talked about that we both have read. It is all about trying to find the perfect way to build a championship squad when you listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's our goal. That's our mission there. Uh, appreciate you guys, uh, again, leaving us those uh, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that. That is huge. Um, this thing continues to grow, and it's it's a fun ride to be on. Uh, remember, you check out all our videos, nfl.com slash video or the new uh, channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash podcast. There's a chance we might start getting um, even more of our audio podcast material uh, uploaded there on that YouTube channel, so be on the lookout for that. All right, that's going to do it for us. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel 
Daniel Jeremiah will catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.